0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderston.
1: So, those who are always running after some new doctrine or some new spiritual experience, although they sometimes appear to be more spiritual than other people, the fact of the matter is they're spiritually immature. You see, a mark of spiritual maturity is stability, you're grounded. You're established or you're becoming grounded and established in the truth. So you're not running here, there, and everywhere looking for some new thing.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, in a message titled The Marks of Christian Maturity. Now, here's Pastor Brian.
1: Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So we pick up today once again in this fourth chapter. And as we've mentioned, the first 16 verses of chapter four, the, the, the primary point or emphasis the apostle is making has to do with Christian unity, but Christian unity is connected to Christian maturity. And we see that in the verses that we read together today. And so we're going to focus on Uh, This idea of building up the body of Christ in verses 13 through 16, those will be the passages that we look at primarily today. But there the apostle elaborates on what it means or what he means by building up the body of Christ. Because remember, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are, are there to equip the saints for works of service so the body of Christ can be built up. So what does that entail, the building up of the body of Christ? Well, as we look at the whole statement here, the first thing we see is that it will be a lengthy process. So this is something that's happening throughout the duration of the life of the church on earth. It's something that's happening by a process throughout our lives as well, individually. And the process is leading us to unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or a mature man. And then he said, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this is the goal to which the church will one day attain, the goal of total maturity. That's where the Lord is taking us. He's taking us to that place of total maturity. No church has arrived there yet. There's there's no perfect church. Uh, Sometimes people say, well, you know, I don't want to go to that church. It's got problems. Or, you know, people are, are sort of on a quest to find the perfect church. You will never find the perfect church. There's no such thing. It doesn't exist. The church will not be perfected and brought to total maturity until we are there in the presence of the Lord. There's no perfect church. No church has arrived there's no movement or denomination that has arrived there yet. No movement or denomination. Now, there's some movements, some denominations. They think they've arrived. They feel like they're better than everybody else. They've got it more right than everybody else. But that just isn't the case. We're all in a process. And finally, there's no individual Christian that has yet arrived at that point of total maturity. But The big question is, are we moving in that direction? Are we moving in the direction of maturity? Are we making progress? And that should be our desire, that we would be progressing toward. The important thing is that we're moving in the right direction, that our trajectory is set toward maturity. And that's what we wanna look at today. We wanna look at the marks of Christian maturity and here in the, the verses that we're looking at, there are four things that Paul highlights. One is unity. The second is truth. The third is love. And the fourth is fellowship. And so we'll look at each one of those today. Now, we've talked in the past about unity, and we've talked about it in quite a bit of detail, so I'm not going to go into that in any in-depth fashion today. But let me remind you, previously we talked about the need to strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit, and we looked at the importance of being careful not to divide with other believers over non-essential matters. And we, as I said, we talked quite a bit about that. I've put an emphasis on that over the past few weeks, and it's an important thing. So we want to We want to be mindful of that. We want to keep that in mind. But at the same time, we also have got to beware of the deceitful plotting of evil men that Paul warns us about here in the passage. So look at verse 13 with me. Where he says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So even though we want to do our best, we endeavor put forth a strong effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, we cannot fail to also realize that there is deception out there. We've got to be aware of that. There are people that are are bent on leading others astray in regard to the faith. So we've got to be aware of that. We've got to be conscious of it. We've got to be on our guard against it. The, the problem when you, when you talk about unity, and we, we discussed this previously, is that some people are willing to go for unity at the, the expense of truth. And that's something that we can't do. We have to hold on to essential truth. We can't give away essential truth in order to uh, obtain unity. And as I pointed out, un- it's the unity of the spirit so there's already a unity that's there. As I said previously, the apostle's not calling us to create a unity, which would be a false sort of a thing. He's calling us to maintain the unity that exists and it's the unity of the spirit. So Paul here warns us that there are those deceitful persons who are, are going to attempt at times to lead us astray. And here he paints a picture that is the antithesis of maturity. It's a vivid picture of spiritual instability. So the immature Christian is a person who's vulnerable to being tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. The the stronger we become, the more mature we are, the more we advance and develop in our faith, the more stable we will become. So those who are always running after some new doctrine or some new spiritual experience, although they sometimes appear to be more spiritual than other people, the fact of the matter is they're, they're spiritually immature. You see, a mark of spiritual maturity is stability. You're, you're grounded. You're established or you're, or you're becoming grounded and established in the truth. So you're not running here, there, and everywhere looking for some new thing to and fro, as Paul puts it here. And then he speaks of every wind of doctrine. That's such a perfect description of false teaching. It seems to blow in the wind from place to place around the world. I can think of different false teachings that have come through the church over the past few decades, and what would happen is you would, you would hear about something. You just hear little bits about something going on in some far corner of the world, and yet, you know, given enough time, that would inevitably show up in your own community, and it would make its way into certain churches in the community, and, and so the way Paul describes it here, it is that sort of a thing. Every wind of doctrine, it just seems there are these things that, that sort of blow in the wind and they land in churches, and they oftentimes create a tremendous amount of instability. So we have to be aware of that, but the antidote to false teaching is being rooted in the truth of scripture. You know, I've seen this over and over again for uh, Christians and churches who have a, a good, strong foundation in the scriptures. This kind of stuff really it it really never affects them it it's almost like the the scriptures give you uh you're you're immunized to that you you get you know it's like getting a a shot and you you're you're no longer vulnerable to it and i remember times over the years where i would be teaching the church and instructing them about some of the false teaching and things like that. And, you know, people would come up and they're like, wow, I never heard of anything like that. I never heard of it until you told us about it. And that was a good thing in a sense. It showed that there was like a a protective hedge around the church that just really prevented that stuff from coming in. So the the scriptures themselves are the antidote to that. Now that brings us to the the point here, the, the first main point, and that is the truth. So Christians are going to be living in unity with their brothers and sisters as they mature in the faith. They're also, at the same time, going to be getting more and more established in the truth. The truth, of course, here is a reference to biblical truth, the truth of God's word. When it comes to the truth about God, the truth about us as as people, the truth about where we came from, why we're here, where we're headed, the answers to that are all found in the scripture. That's where we go to find answers to these questions. You know, it's interesting in our uh, world today, in our culture today, uh, people hardly think to go to the Bible when they're asking those questions. They usually go to uh, the sociologist or the psychologist or whatever, thinking that that's where the answers lie. But the answers are really given to us in the pages of scripture. So the truth, and here Paul speaks of the truth, and he says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and so forth. He said, but speaking the truth in love. Now, speaking the truth, the word here, there's just one Greek word here, and speaking is is a bit of an interpretation by the translators, but it's a good one. Uh, but the word is actually truthing. So, it's, so what Paul is literally saying, if you translated it literally, truthing in love. Oh, we don't use that kind of a term, truthing. What is that? But here's the thing. Since that's the word, it probably includes more than speaking. So you could say living the truth in love. You could say doing the truth in love. And of course, you can as well say speaking the truth in love. So a maturing Christian is a person who is getting more and more established in the truth so that we're speaking it, so that we're living it, so that we're doing it. But of course, that all really would start with believing it, right? Believing the truth. Now, there are some today in evangelicalism who are suggesting that the Bible is not necessarily telling us the truth when it tells us certain things. Uh, There are those today that are suggesting that there are um, certain aspects of scripture that are incorrect in the information that being given to us. For example, there are those today who say uh, that when the Bible speaks of the original two human beings, the original couple, Adam and Eve, that's that's mythology. That's not really actual history. There were no such people as Adam and Eve, some would say. Uh, others would point to somebody like Noah. There, there was no historical person, Noah, there was no ark that he built, there was no flood that took place back in those days they would say that this is this is mythological this is something that was just you know added into the scriptures to sort of enhance the biblical record and then when you question them on well you know if that if if what you're saying is true then why did Jesus seem to think that Adam and Eve were, were real historical people. Why did Jesus seem to think there was actually a flood and so forth? They they would say, they would go so far as to say, well, Jesus was mistaken. Uh, people today, you know, would say, Jesus was mistaken. And in some cases, people would not just accuse Jesus of being mistaken, of not knowing that. Some would say that he was actually a bit deceptive because he did know that those people weren't actually historical figures, but because everybody in his generation thought they were, he just went along with it. He just kind of accommodated the culture. They call it the accommodation theory. Now, these ideas have been around for a long time, but they are are becoming popularized again these days. And there, there are people that are espousing these things, people within the evangelical community. But you see, this would be an example of not believing the truth. You see, if we're going to live the truth, do the truth, speak the truth, we've got to first of all believe the truth. And that's the point that I want to make here. What we're really dealing with here is is the issue of biblical authority, biblical inspiration, biblical inerrancy. And, And this idea that, you know, the Bible contains these These errors is a denial of biblical inerrancy and an open door to rejecting anything in scripture that we don't agree with. Belief in the inspiration and the authority of scripture is an all or nothing proposition. What I mean by that is this you either believe that the whole Bible is the word of God and you have then that's the authority. If you disbelieve that in any way, if there's any part of the scripture that you say, well, that's not the word of God there, then you just open the door for any other part of scripture to be questioned as well. So it's an all or nothing proposition. Either what Paul said is true or it's not true. Paul said all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Either that's true that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, or we have no basis to conclude that any scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we believe, I believe in the inspiration, the authority of scripture. I believe in the inerrancy of scripture. And when it, at the end of the day, what this really comes down to is simply it's a matter of belief. The person who denies the existence of Adam and Eve does so on the basis that they simply don't believe that that's how things would have started. The person who denies that there was a worldwide flood and an ark and a man named Noah, they, they deny that based on the, the belief that it just couldn't have happened. So it's really a matter of belief versus unbelief. And a, a person who's maturing in the faith or, or moving toward maturity is a person who's going to have more and more confidence in the truth and the authority of scripture as they go along that path. You know sometimes those who bring these questions or or cast these doubts they they present themselves as well you know we're just more mature than other people that's why we know that this stuff really didn't happen. Well actually it's just the reverse. It it's an immaturity in the faith that would question or challenge more properly the authority of scripture. So there is the believing of the truth. There is the knowing of the truth. One of the marks of the Christian life is that we are in the pursuit of the knowledge of God's truth. A person who's maturing is a person who's uh, committing themselves more and more to the understanding of the scripture, the study and the understanding of the scripture, and then the speaking of the truth. So the mature believer lives the truth, does the truth, speaks the truth. It's not easy sometimes to speak the truth in our culture, is it? Sometimes it's not easy to speak the truth in certain environments. Sometimes uh, we're intimidated and out of fear we draw back. And occasionally that can happen to anybody. It can even happen to a mature believer occasionally. But if that's a consistent thing where there's uh, a timidity to the point that I'm just not I can't engage with anybody conversationally with a presentation of the scriptures. That That's a mark of immaturity. It's It shows that I need to grow in this area. So the mature believer lives and speaks the truth. But then Paul says here that it's not just speaking the truth, but it's speaking the truth in love. And this is sometimes where we see a real breakdown. There are people that appear to be mature because they know the scriptures. They have an intellectual understanding. They, they know lots of verses. They can quote them verbatim. And maybe they know uh, certain aspects of theology. Maybe they are acquainted with certain false teachings and so forth, and they're able to give a good argument against that. But They cannot do it in love. So on the one hand, it seems like, wow, they are so mature. Look at the Bible knowledge they have. But because they're unable to communicate (laughs) that knowledge in love, it really shows that they're not quite as mature as they might have thought they were or as others might have thought them to be. Because speaking the truth has to be coupled with love. We have to speak the truth in love. One commentator said this, and I thought it was worth quoting. He said, Thank God there are those in the contemporary church who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth, but sometimes they are conspicuously lacking in love. When they think they smell heresy, their nose begins to twitch, their muscles ripple, and the light of battle enters their eye. They seem to enjoy nothing more than a fight. Others make the opposite mistake. They are determined at all costs to maintain and exhibit brotherly love, but in order to do so are prepared even to sacrifice the central truths of revelation. Both of these tendencies are unbalanced and unbiblical. Truth becomes hard, I like this, truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. The apostle calls us to hold the two together, which should not be difficult for the spirit-filled believers, since the Holy Spirit is himself the spirit of truth, and his first fruit is love. There is no other route than this to a fully mature Christian unity and experience. So I think he put that quite well, speaking the truth in love. Now, Some of you are familiar with the term apologetics. Apologetics doesn't mean to say you're sorry for being a Christian.
0: And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. A great book that I recently read
1: was the book called Finding the Right Hills to Die On. And this is written by a young man named Gavin Ortland, And he is a brilliant writer. And this book deals with the subject of Christian unity. It just seems like so often we're divided up over theological issues. And many times we are dividing over things that don't really matter in the big picture. And so the title kind of indicates that, finding the right hills to die on. We don't want to die on every hill. There are certain things, obviously, we need to stand and fight for certain essential doctrines. So this book kind of puts in perspective what the priorities are. And so I highly recommend Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland.
0: Again, this month's resource is a book titled Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. You can order the book Finding the Right Hills to Die On by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com